still coming down off of Lizzo. Like that. that that's, <laughs> oh my god, I love this. It's, yes. it's it's we're only halfway through the month, and it's really going to be hard to top that. Yeah. For the entire month of May. That for the I, entire year, I feel like that's going to sit with you. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm sure. Like it's still early in the year yeah. too, so I don't know what else is coming. But it, it's crazy to me to think that that's a top five concert because on mm-hmm. the one hand, I try not to be stuck in my ways. Like mm-hmm. I try to have be a receiver to new art and new experiences and whatever so i don't want to say like the last time a, a show made my top five concerts was 2004 <laughs> you know yeah. but at the same time it's crazy that something so new can just like hit you double barrel i was actually a little surprised when you said it was in your top five not because i don't think lizzo is amazing right. she is a goddess um period but i just felt also too like it's so fresh and mm. it's already in your top five like that's really impressive <laughs> it's it's crazy i, I mean the uh, the uh, we're two years away from a concert hitting the new number one Mm -hmm. and walking away from the show I said to my friend Laura who I went to that show with I was like I'm pretty sure that's the best concert I've ever been to and as time went on it settled and I thought about it I was like yep yes it was (laughs) so I I like that about myself as I'm I'm nearing another birthday getting older I'm like I I, that is my goal (laughs) in life is to still be receiving. And I love so that. Far, That's so how we should all live. You know? That's my own. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 223 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast of your movie loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Dear friends, Twitter is a very interesting place. Uh, sometimes it's a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is a news channel and all into itself. Um, sometimes it can lead to conversation. Sometimes it can just lead to screaming <laughs> arguments. And I found myself in a neat little place uh, on Twitter just two weeks ago um, when my guest uh, who's on today's show and I were talking about something that sort of kind of annoyed me and I talked to her about it on Twitter and this little back and forth went on and what I liked about it was that we both seemed to have enough respect for one another that we could talk about something that was difficult for mm-hmm. uh, just a flat out a hard subject to talk about and something where there was annoyances on both sides and yet through the whole conversation people there was nothing but just communication and I hear what you're saying and (laughs) and on and on. And it led to a a really wonderful night over coffee. And I guess it gave me hope for Twitter that we can, if we use it right, and especially if we use it uh, when we know the people, it's a little bit harder when you don't know a person. And maybe that's the lesson is you should treat the person on Twitter as if you do know them. Mm -hmm. Um, That you need to remember the voice behind the ones and the zeros, behind mm-hmm. the, the text bubbles, yeah. because I believe that is where we all get caught up, that we get fixated on the text on our screen and not the voice that's saying it. So um, I'm happy that that conversation on Twitter led to a great conversation over coffee and has led to a great conversation that's going to happen today. You didn't even hear the – there was a whole <laughs> prequel podcast yeah. that just happened off mic that I probably should have recorded. Whole um, prologue. Exactly. So uh, my hope for you people is that you have friends like my guest today um, and that you have conversations on Twitter like the one I had and hopefully that we have another good one here today. Uh, my friend Joe Lee Featherstone is here. I, I must – 
please tell me. You are getting married next year. Yes. Are you keeping your name? I intend to, yes. Oh, I intend you to wonderful keep it. woman. You have to. You I just, really do. You know what? I, and Sean has a beautiful last name as well. But I mean, with a, a last name like mine, it's kind of, it, I'm attached to it. It's hard to give up. It is. It is. Um, welcome. Thank you for coming out. Thank, thank you. you for doing, you, you, I'm going to tell people you did a lot of this on kind of short notice. <laughs> no, thank so you for I'm having me. I'm thankful for that. Uh, you know, we got tea, we got water, we got cookies. Yes. And it's a lovely uh, long weekend here in Toronto, uh, a little bit cool outside, but um, we'll hopefully warm people up on episode 223 because we're going to be discussing um, a movie that's sort of flying under the radar, but one I think that people should see because it's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, We won't be doing the other side on this episode. Um, As I mentioned, it sort of came together last minute and it's a very busy weekend for both Miss Featherstone and myself. So we're going to kind of keep this... uh, quick and dirty and just talk record post and get on with the, with our weekends um but we will be discussing non-fiction uh first though we need to learn more about joe lee this is no you're Jolie first appeared two summers ago on episode 182. We talked about Ghost Story. We mm-hmm. learned then that the first movie she'd ever seen in the theater was Casper. The last movie she'd seen at the time was Point Break. The worst film she'd ever seen was Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> I still stand by I that. believe you. <laughs> the unseen classic or essential is Lawrence of Arabia. Any movement there? Still Unfortunately not. not. Okay. Right. They showed it Lightbox every winter. You got I a know. chance again in December. I know. I think that's the problem is that I keep thinking, oh, I'll oh, see you next winter. Back. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and that it's a film that I keep telling people you must see it on the big screen. Yes, exactly. Um, and the film that she wished she'd made was Amasur mm-hmm. uh, Fat Girl. Yeah. Uh, then in round two, uh, she came back last spring to talk about Thoroughbreds on episode 195. We learned the film she digs and nobody else does is Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Yes. So everybody else <laughs> likes that she doesn't really is cinema parody. So uh, the film, the last film at the time to make her cry was Call Me By Your Name. Mm. In the movie of her life, she would be played by a conglomerate of people. <laughs> She'd be played by Jennifer Lawrence, Saoirse Ronan, and Kate McKinnon, all at various stages of her life. And next, she was going to be watching A Fantastic Woman, which I still haven't seen. And it's been on my... It's been it's been on my netflix my list for like months mm-hmm. I sh- that's, that's probably going to be my night now that i say it out loud yes. and on mic fantastic we'll chat about it once you've seen we it. will <laughs> time for round three jolie what is the film and interpret this question any way you want what is the film that made your love of film turn a corner i i love that question that's such Why, a good thank question thank you <laughs> You have the best questions, honestly. Um, (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) We're done here. No, um, in terms of the film that really changed, I guess, my perception of films, or at least how I partake in watching films and discussing, was, strangely enough, don't laugh at me for it, uh, was Gladiator, actually. Dear God. With Russell Crowe. Okay. And I watched it, and the first thing that really hit me about that film was the marriage between the editing and the score. Mm. And I just loved that. I thought that it was just so beautifully done. Um, And that really, I think, kind of changed the way that I think about films or how I watch films. And from that, basically, after watching that film, which I would come home after school and I would fast forward to certain scenes and watch it like obsessively and just really listen to the score and watch the editing and just see how how they blended that together um but 
from watching that film forward, every weekend I would get up early not to watch cartoons, but to read the film reviews in the newspaper. Oh, wow. And okay. I would get multiple newspapers. I'd read all the reviews. I would read them out to my parents. We'd discuss them. And these critics felt like friends to me, you know, mm. as weird as that sounds. But they became such a part of my life and my family's life. Like every weekend, every morning, that's what we would do. And I would look out for, if I saw a film, I'd look out for what they wrote about it. I would um, choose the films I was going to watch based off, you know, perhaps based off one of their reviews. And it that I think was really spurred on after watching Gladiator and really falling in love with it. Now, now make everybody feel old. This was at the tender age of? Okay, so I would have been 10 years old. Right. <laughs> I thought that I was 11. To talk to you. Um, <laughs> I thought I was 11. It was only one year off. <laughs> awesome. Um, you know what? It's, it, I don't think... And I apologize to anybody who's listening who may have brought it up if I'm forgetting. I don't think that's ever been the answer to this mm, question. Okay. Of, it made my love for film turn a corner because I began to embrace the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard a lot about like thinking critically and mm -hmm. thinking about what film could do. And um, certainly a... a an emotional and an immersive experience, mm -hmm. but I've never, I don't think I've come across one where it began to draw over into the larger discussion mm -hmm. around film and how that can shape what we do. Because I mean, film is by and large movies are product, mm -hmm. right? Like let, let's, let's be honest. The ones that we see may have a little bit more to offer us, but always, and not just, not just now that it's all franchises and superheroes, always, 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 Film has been something that a bunch of studios can sell us to make money and possibly fund some other smaller movies. Um, so, but there is stuff to be discussed. And I mean, Gladiator is actually an interesting example because mm -hmm. it very much was one of those sold mm -hmm. products. It wasn't created as a prestige movie. It mm -hmm. wasn't created as a possible Oscar contender, even though it won Best Picture. I mean, it came out in May mm -hmm. for, for Love of God. <laughs> um, and yet... Um, there sometimes there is things to be discussed within the product. Is it a mm -hmm. good product? Is it something worth your while? Mm -hmm. And how then that can kind of lead you out into other things. Like I remember when um, when that came out, there was a renewed conversation for movies like Spartacus mm -hmm. and Ben Hur because like sword there's, and sandals, oh, yeah, there's like obvious sword. obvious tethers to those kinds of movies. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's 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 funny. I was I think I was about sixteen okay. when I started when I started like looking into reviews and written and, and, and TV at the time had like Siskel and Niebert mm -hmm. were on TV, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and like, I guess obviously that, that's fueled your relationship with film because you write yourself, you mm -hmm. do still read critical reception. Yeah. Is it, I, I, one, I guess I have one question following that. Is it a little bit worse now? Because it kind of seems like there's an increased cynicism. Sometimes there's actually a fight between creators and critics, and it, it's a lot of noise. Is, is it worse? I have a lot of feelings about that. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? I think there's obviously the, the whole industry is flipped on its head since 2000. But um, what I've noticed myself, um, you know, I think the way that I initially dove into that conversation came from this really organic but kind of classic place, you know, um, a film review in the newspapers. I would say fairly classic way of reading about films and kind of entering into that discussion. Um, whereas now, you know, we have folks on YouTube, we have podcasts, we have, I mean, everyone on Twitter is yeah. broadcasting their views. So I think 
film criticism now, um, and not in all areas, of course, those kind of uh, classic or historical avenues still very much exist. But there's this whole kind of new, very sort of fragmented um, uh, style of film criticism that's out now. And I think part of me still really holds dear the kind of classic way of receiving that information. I still love reading reviews in the newspaper or reading long form blogs. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm really embracing sort of newer forms of that with podcasts. I really enjoy it. And again, it all comes down to that conversation and discussion. Um, And the podcast lends itself so naturally to that. Um, I do, you know, uh, just like anyone, um, I I do sometimes take issue with some of the stuff that happens on Twitter. As you mentioned before, it sometimes feels like there's a screaming match going on as opposed to let's have like a, a conversation. It might not be easy at times, but, yeah. you know, I respect your opinion. Um, you respect mine and let's have let's have a dialogue yeah. about the film. It's, it's um, strange times. Yeah, it's, it's it. I kind of feel like the whole thing needs to settle. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's it's. it's ground that's been that we've you know we've dug up and we're building something new but i don't think the ground is quite settled Mm -hmm. to build everything up quite right and we're going to find out about a lot of this in in the years ahead uh, about what where the conversation is what can lead to to productive conversation um and what you know if somebody was just you know if somebody had if a 10 year old girl had just seen Endgame and mm-hmm. used that to like look into reviews, what was, yeah. what would her reaction be? Absolutely. Moving on, mm-hmm. Jolie, what was your first date movie? Oh my God. My first date movie was actually Blood Diamond with Leo. <laughs> Good old Leo oh <laughs> and God. Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, that was oh my, my first Lord. date movie. We went to Kelsey's after, by the way. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, like, <laughs> that that is uh, there's so much to unpack there. Oh my god, let's I, let's I mean, do it. <laughs> okay, so that, that that is that is a that is a capital D drama. <laughs> like there there is nothing happy coming your way. Uh, I, we're kind of that's kind of like the, the the turn of Leo's career. You know, like that kind of era of, of Blood Diamond and The Departed. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it's it's not. How did this date come about? Was it just oh we want to do something, and that is. Something that's playing? You know what? I'm also assuming, by the way, that you went to see this in the theater. We did. We saw it at the local Cineplex. Yeah. And it's one of those, you know, what is it, smart centers where the Cineplex and there's a Kelsey next door. So that's that's what we did. Um, But actually, it was a date a long time coming. And I won't go into the long story. But it was actually very sweet how it came about. Um, And the reason why my date chose Blood Diamond, because I believe they'd already... Oh, there's logic coming? Okay. There was a rationale. I thought thought you were going to tell me it was just... it was. was there was a method to the madness. Color me a tree. And in fact, I didn't choose the film. Um, my date chose it, and they chose it. I think they'd already seen it, and they chose it because they really liked Jennifer Connelly's character, and they felt that she reminded them of me because she was a little bit sassy. She was really smart. She was really cool. And she also was a journalist. Not at the time, I really wanted to be a journalist. So that was the rationale. Um, I love Jennifer Connelly, so I was not complaining. Um, But yeah, there was a whole rationale behind seeing Blood Diamond. I just want to give this guy a hug. (laughs) 
<laughs> he, I mean, he was a great person. Very good person. You know, I, I, my, my MO was just like to pass a girl a note. But, um, oh, there was, there was a there, whole there scavenger hunt uh, involved. Okay. There was, there was a, wow. there's a long story there. Um, I, I mean, I, I won't ask for details of the actual date. I will tell people that like I'm in the room here so I can see that Jolie obviously has fond memories of this. It was a nice date. That's very good. That's, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting to like, Ask one of these questions and come, have somebody come back with, let me tell you. I'm, I'm <laughs> yes. waiting. I'm just, I'm going to keep doing this show until I get a horror it's gonna story. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> um, okay. No, it's going to be hard for us to top that. Uh, what is your sick day movie? Sick day movie. So do you mean like kind of a comforting film? Like I watch it. It's up you know? to you. Like you're home. You've got a fever. Mm-hmm. You're not leaving the bed. All you've got is your pet and your remote. That sounds like a great day, to be honest. Um, what, what are you putting on? All right. So let's say I'm wrapped up in a blanket and, and my cat dilly beside your, your me. Platform, your <laughs> platforms are, are all-encompassing. So it's mm-hmm. not, you're not even restricted to what is on Netflix mm-hmm. now or what is on your platform of choice now. It's, it, they all have anything that you would want to watch when you're feeling this way. Good, good, good. Okay. Yeah. I... For me, it's basically any Marilyn Monroe film is what I go to. Um, And that's not limited to like fever at home sake. That's also, you know, if I'm feeling kind of down or I'm feeling tired and Mm. I just want to pick me up at the end of the day, anything with Marilyn Monroe. Why Marilyn? Like, obviously the question, the answer is why not Marilyn? For you, why Marilyn? Perfect question. Um, For for me, I just think she she was just a great comedic actress. Mm. And um, for me, for a long time, I guess my my sick day movie would have been Gentleman Performance for blondes mm. because her and Jane Russell were just magic together. Their chemistry, the dialogue, it's hilarious. It's such a fun movie and I've shown it to a lot of friends like along along the way or throughout the years and I haven't had one person come back and say, "You know what? That wasn't funny." Everyone watches it and is like, "You know what? That was a good time." You know, yeah. it was a, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I think that's my go-to. So okay, so any Marilyn movie, and especially *Gentlemen Prefer Blondes*. The, I mean, the moment I always love in there's a lot to love in *Gentlemen Prefer Blondes*, but the moment I always love in *Gentlemen Prefer Blondes* is actually Jane Russell singing "Is Anybody Here for Love?" Mm-hmm. Because she's going through these this like spa, basically, <laughs> just absolutely bombshell vamping mm-hmm. it up. And all these like ripped dudes behind her, none of them so much as batting her an eye. Right. And I mean, on the one hand, you watch it now and I'm like, this is unbelievably gay. <laughs> There's like Greek mm-hmm. mosaics on the wall behind. There's a lot of body oil going on. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like, I'm like, this is like, this is some really subversive shit. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, this is like sexy as can be. It's awesome. And, it, and it's all played for like laughs and a romp. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, I love a lot of the musical numbers in that film. Yeah. How can you not? They're so iconic, but that, that, that is one. definitely in the top three. And I mean, my, my other, my other favorite uh, Marilyn movie, if, if like I was choosing, choosing one is uh, How to Marry a Millionaire. Mm-hmm. That's a good uh, one too. The, the one that hangs on Marilyn not being desirable if she has to wear her glasses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a whole, <laughs> let, let us a whole other world. <laughs> I know, right? You know? It's a running theme, you know? Yeah. Just put a girl in glasses and suddenly she's invisible. Yes. Take them off. Oh, my, my God. My goodness. You know? <laughs> Holy crap. Um, okay, very very good answer. I like that. Uh, what was the last movie uh, for any reason to leave you speechless? Hmm. You know, <laughs> that's a tough question because I, 
I don't know that I talk a lot. I talk a lot. And I, as we've encountered throughout this conversation and previous ones, there's nothing I like more than talking about films. Mm. So it's very rare that I don't have something to say <laughs> after a film. Um, but I guess my interpretation of that was, or what came to mind when I think of that is um, when I saw Yuna at TIFF a few years ago, um, starring Rooney Mara. And, you know, it, I'm not sure if you saw it, but it uh, deals a lot with um, sexual assaults and, and abuse. And at the end of the film, I had a lot to say for sure. But I was kind of like, you know what, I need to take a step back for a few minutes and process everything because I've got thoughts just running through my head. And I'm going to take a few minutes to really sort that out and kind of process that and, and think about that. Um, so... I definitely had a lot to say after I took a few minutes to just right. process it. So I would say that was the last one that, that really jumped to my mind. I was like, wow. Like I, after the film, I was like, I can't even say anything right now. Just give me a few minutes and let me process this. <laughs> this is going to sound like a strange question, but I, 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 I do mean it sincerely. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy that sensation of a film hitting you so hard about something that's difficult mm -hmm. um, that it actually knocks you back like that and like leaves you discombobulated. Totally. I love that feeling. Really? In film. I, mean, I don't mean to seems, sound like a masochist. I, no, I, I, know, I know, but it's like, I mean, people, people wondered about me when I want to watch films that are heavy or unpleasant or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and, and it's a hard sensation to explain because on the one hand, I, a lot of people are saying, you know, the world is just such a dumpster fire right now. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to subject myself to Una? Mm -hmm. um, and and yeah, I can I can absolutely understand that. So it's articulating what it what it what the benefit is about being left speechless like that. I think mm -hmm. is important. I you know that's a, a great question. I think you and I are very similar in that sense. You know, I I relish that opportunity, whether it be a film. A, a book, what have you, a song even, but um, for me, and again, this is not for everyone. Everyone processes things differently, but... I mean, you're the woman who loves Amasur. I love Amasur. So and yet I also love Dirty Dancing and Vanna Nights. Oh, I'm God. just very weird. You are so complicated. <laughs> I'm very strange. <laughs> Definitely, there's no question about that. But um, you know what? I think, again, the way that I approach film and, and how I even approach film criticism or even just discussing it is I really try to look at a film for, for what it is in terms of you know context within the genre, context within you know the filmmaker's history. Um, and, you know, I try my best through my experience watching film and studying film to really think, okay, you know, what were they trying to get across here? And that's how I, how I kind of look at a film. So, you know, I'm looking at Dirty Dancing, Humana Nights. I know I'm not going into it to, to get the same kind of experience as I would watching Una. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean I, I would enjoy it any less. Same with Una. I'm not walking away from Uno with the same kind of feelings that I would have watching Dirty Dancing Man Nights, or at least I hope you wouldn't walk away right. from it with those feelings. But I think that um, for me, I like to, you know, not to say that I like to be shaken up, but I, I like to see real human kind of stories. I like to see how another, um, another human would approach uh, an experience and how they would work through that and how they would put that on screen. Um, I think in some ways, not always, but, and for some people it's catharsis, you know, if you're going through something and that was the word that was kinda, really swinging. Yeah. Head. It's sometimes helpful to watch a film and think, Hey, I'm not alone here. You know, someone else going through a similar thing. Um, and the film 
the characters in the film may deal with it very different than than the viewer but sometimes it's helpful just to say just to see on the screen oh you know someone else is going through this or thinking about this and this is how they approached it um i think it's a very human urge really to want to watch a film that may be uncomfortable i i i I agree with you but i know a lot of people don't Mm. i know a lot of people and not even just modern films like i know a lot of people like sit down to watch something on like turner classic Mm -hmm. and it starts taking a dark turn and they're like i'm out this is not why i'm watching these kinds of movies and because that's this, totally this, this fair. kind of <laughs> this kind of approach to storytelling it's not new mm-hmm. right like there's there a oh, lot yeah. there's a lot of really bleak stories that are told in black and white uh, and oh absolutely sure. even looking i mean throughout throughout history for sure um but something i notice and it's it's funny how you know we were just talking about classic films but even if you look at some of the 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 romance films of say the 40s and 50s particularly there's a uh Frequently, I found there's always a theme or thread where death or loss mm-hmm. is involved in those films. And, you know, it's just interesting because when you hear romance, immediately a lot of people are quick to write it off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you could you could be watching TCM and, and watching, for all intents and purposes, a romance film. But quite frequently they deal with loss or with grief or even just the idea of death and what comes after that. Um, so it's certainly not new to kind of approach these kind of existential questions. Um, but I think, I think it's important, you know, there, we need all kinds of films. We need the fun, dirty dancing films. We need the Unas. We need all that. Definitely. Last but not least for now, uh, what is the film quote that would be your epitaph? <laughs> this sounds so bad, but the first thing that comes to my head is nobody's perfect from some like a hot. I feel like that's Sold. so accurate for yeah. for everyone, <laughs> for me especially. I don't know what I would what I would have, but um, yeah, let's go with nobody's perfect like, for now. No, for, you know, it, it ties off a lot of things together. You got your classics in there again. Yeah. You got your you got your Marilyn in there again. Mm-hmm. No, I thought that is a really good one. Um, very nicely done. <laughs> We'll learn more about you when you come back for a fourth round of these questions. Um, that is plenty about Jolie. We are going to move now to the new slang. Uh, the new slang on episode 223 is nonfiction. We'll talk about it right after this. Paperback Nonfiction is directed and written by Olivier Assayas. It stars Juliette Binoche, Guillaume Canet, Vincent uh, Macania, Krista There, and Nora Hamzawi. It's the story of Leonard, who is a writer. He's just completed his newest book, but his publisher, Alan, is passing on it. His wife, Valerie, is distracted running a political campaign, and the public doesn't really like the themes of his writing at large. His only bit of mild solace seems to come from Selena, that's Alan's wife, whom he's having an affair with. You might think that this all might vex Alan, but you'd be wrong, because Alan is too distracted trying to ferry his publishing house into the digital age with his new consultant, Laura, whom he's also having an affair with. Nonfiction is being sold as farce. It's being sold as a cluster of oblivious people who try to come off as being tapped in to the world around them. However, it's hardly a slapstick romp. 
So if you aren't looking at the, for the absurdity within its dry wit, you might easily miss it. So pop quiz hotshot. Speaking of absurdity, what was the most absurd thing about this movie? Nonfiction, double V. What amongst all of this oddity and lots and lots of conversation mm -hmm. jumped out to you as possibly the most absurd? There's so much dry humor. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of you know social criticism that goes on throughout mm -hmm. this film. Um, it is really funny in that way, but again, not necessarily like a hit you over the head slapstick kind of comedy. Um, in terms of what's the most absurd, I don't know if this is the most absurd, but I did give out a good chuckle um, when uh, towards the beginning when they're discussing. Twitter and social media yeah. in the digital age. And Ellen says that Twitter is very French. And I thought that was hilarious. I that, yeah. And I thought that was really kind of funny. Um, so again, not necessarily absurd, but I thought that was hilarious. Um, another thing I thought too, and I, I think that the film is very intentional with this is, you know, all these individuals are so tightly connected together. Their, their world is quite small in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet they're all so oblivious to each other's meanderings and goings on. Um, yet, of course, sort of having these conversations trying to sound very tapped in, I feel that there is definitely a lot of kind of poking fun at the upper class and middle upper class. Um, you know, all the, all the folks that we, that were watching this film, you know, are very, very white middle upper class and, uh, Parisians. yeah, very, um, bourgeois bohemian and they're just so oblivious to what's going on amongst each other right. and it's almost like in this age of connection they are even more disconnected which isn't a new topic to examine in, in film but i think that Isaias does it in a really kind of funny way that is that is definitely something that's um really absurd and really like delightfully absurd mm -hmm. um within this movie that the, the entire opening conversation um that you're that you're referring to when they're talking about twitter and talking mm -hmm. about how it's very french um uh, between leonard and Hélène, um it's an amazing opening to oh, this movie it's, great. it's just like it's it's this one long conversation that that starts out the film mm -hmm. and kind of drops you into the deep end of what it's all gonna nah, not exactly what it's gonna be about mm -hmm. but who you who what kind of people you're about to spend Absolutely. 100 minutes with um i think for me the most absurd thing was listening to all these people talking about um, how things are changing mm -hmm. and how things are sometimes changing for the better and sometimes changing for the worse. And yet they all seem so desperately like, and they're all, I'd say they're all progressive, mm -hmm. right? Like this is definitely a liberal movie. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Is this a liberal movie? Mm -hmm. um, and I say that as somebody who is definitely liberal himself. And I'm like, you guys are, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to go over here. Yeah. Um, but what strikes me as so absurd is these people are all talking about changes and yet they all sort of seem the world to want to remain mm -hmm. as it as their world as it is. They want yeah. people to still buy books mm -hmm. and still connect with art and still yeah. have conversations and get away Absolutely. from their devices. But at the same time, they, 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 they see the change and they don't want the change. I'm like, what are you guys saying? Yeah, no, there's a lot of kind of hand wringing and there's a lot of clinging on to certain uh, viewpoints. And I think, you know, in the initial conversation between Ellen and Leonard, um, which again, you were spot on is such a great opening to the film because it really does kind of, it just kind of welcomes you right into the conversations that are happening and the types of people that we're looking at. Um, and I also thought they are just, there's, <laughs> they're such great characters 
to look at in that first scene because they're both so different. Um, yeah. And uh, when we follow them along and they have that, uh, Alain and um, Serena have the dinner party and you have these sort of camps going on, you know, uh, Selena um, really holding on to kind of a classic way of doing things. But then you have her husband who's in the publishing world really kind of wanting to seem like an advocate for updating and becoming digital and going paperless. Um, and then you have the two friends that kind of seem very revolving in their opinions. It's it's just such a great conversational comedy in a way. Like, I mean, the, the success of this movie is it really brings you into these rooms, mm-hmm. you know, like these are not, these are not conversations that are being had. These are conversations that could be had across social media, mm-hmm. but this film really puts you at these tables mm-hmm. in these cafes, in these apartments um, and makes you feel if you necessarily can't contribute that you can certainly listen to mm-hmm. all these differing opinions and, and puts you right at that table um, in a very intimate way and, and lets you get all this. I'm getting by the, by the, sounds of your your phrasing of this movie and by your body language like you dug this movie i did sort of a, a disclaimer i guess myself working in social and digital marketing i really enjoyed it on that <laughs> level um so i guess my my day job would be very kind of similar um to laura's role with okay. her company um not we're not totally uh the exact same role but similar industry. Um, so for me, it was especially fun and quite humorous to watch people have these discussions. Um, you know, myself kind of being someone that is, you know, I am very, um, cautious with social media, but I also, that's, that's my day job. I, mm. I, you know, it's, well, it's, it's I have a very interesting it's relationship. Not, it's like, it. it's not going away. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can try to make it a little bit less of the Wild West, but mm-hmm. I think that that's going to take a concerted effort that mm-hmm. may or may not uh, be in our in our cards. Um, but I, I can only imagine, like, you went back to work after seeing this mm-hmm. movie. Oh, I was like, did. guys, guys, <laughs> guys, you got to go see this. Right? It's, it's funny. And you know what? A lot of the conversations that they were having um, – just mirror a lot of conversations I've had with friends when I was starting out in the industry, but friends who did not work in the industry right. kind of weighing in um, very Twitter-esque, I guess, as Elaine would, or Elaine would say, mm-hmm. um, kind of weighing in on the industry without necessarily having a really close line of sight into it. So for me, you know, coming from work and going back to work straight after, it was really fun and interesting <laughs> to watch these conversations play out. Um, but Absolutely. Just the conversations, like you said, it really kind of pulls you in. It brings you to the table. Honestly, I felt like I should have had a cheese board in front of me like, right, watching this film. Right. Um, it's it's just such, the dialogue is great. The characters, I think, are so interesting because they're not necessarily likable characters. No. And yet you're kind of intrigued where they're going to go next and, and what steps they're going to take next. Yeah, and I think that's the that's kind of the crazy thing is we've got, it's, it's really a core group of five people, I mm-hmm. think. And none of them are really what I'd call the hero. Mm-hmm, you know, like no. there, there is nobody here who you think, oh, poor them. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I can't believe this happened to them or anything like that. Like, oh, they've all got something where they're, you know, you, you hear something and you're like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I really actually did not know what I was getting into. I, mm-hmm. I'm at a point 
with my relationship with uh, Asayas, we were talking off mic about how you're still kind of new to him. Mm -hmm. I'm newish to him, uh, but I've I've got quite a bit under my belt at this point. Where he makes a movie and I go. Mm -hmm. So just yeah. knowing that it's it's like okay, I don't even really know. I don't need to know what you're telling me about. Yeah. Right. Like I'm fine with my trigger warnings. <laughs> I'm just gonna go. Yeah. Um. So I, I had no idea what I was getting into and. Uh, the whole idea that it's this kind of absurd, um, and I use this term in the in the pro, not the now pejorative. Mm -hmm. It's a Woody Allen esque movie of you mm -hmm. know rich white people having absurd conversations and mm -hmm. you know spinning through each other's circles. Yeah, I would say that's absolutely a fair comparison. Yeah, for sure. and and I yeah I enjoyed the heck out of it. I I don't know. It's weird because on the one hand, I talk about this movie and I don't know who in the world besides us is going to like carve themselves out time during mm -hmm. the summer movie schedule to go see it. Yeah, and I hear I you. And I do believe it is actually kind of a movie that you need to uh, put down your phone mm -hmm. Absolutely. and give yourself over to it because a lot of its absurdity and a lot of its dry wit and mm -hmm. a lot of its actually very valid criticism mm -hmm comes while you're paying attention. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So say nothing of the fact that it's in French, mm -hmm. right? And you, you can't actually yeah. like, do two. You, you can't, literally you can't have read to be two things at once. Paying attention. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I was I was really happy about how the way about the way this movie turned out. Yeah. And like you said, I think that there is something to be said, whether you're watching it in a cinema or if someone is watching it at home, it, it's something, you know, turn down the lights, pay attention, put your phone away and yeah. just really kind of, you know, be a fly on the wall in the lives of these four or five characters that we follow along and just kind of sit in on their dinner parties and their yeah. conversations. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned your only other real experience with SAS so far has been personal shoppers. Yes. So Plaza Sils Maria, you still haven't seen. I still you did, have You not. have not given yourself over to five hours of Carlos. No, you know what? I'm so far behind on the SAS train and uh, it, it, it's definitely a, a blind spot for me that I need to catch up on, but I really, really enjoyed personal shopper. Um, so when you mentioned nonfiction to me and knowing he was the director, I'm like, yeah, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I'm enjoying that. Um, for the last good little stretch of his career, he's actually been, um, really, I don't, I don't know if it's a deliberate effort or if it's just a matter of what kind of story he wants, stories he wants to tell. He's been really, um, dedicated to telling stories where um, women are the central characters. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's really um, big on telling women's stories and telling stories where not just where it's a woman's story, but where women have the conversations. Mm -hmm. um, Clouds of Sils Maria might be like one of the most classic mm -hmm. versions of that because you, at the center of that one, you have Juliette Binoche and um, Kristen Stewart, right? Who you are on, different points of, of like the age spectrum in their mm -hmm. career and where they are. And then they actually even fold Chloe Moretz into it. Mm -hmm. Who's even, you know, younger on the, on the timeline than mm -hmm. Kristen Stewart is. So you kind of get to watch all of this play along. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of the women playing off each other in this movie though. No. And you know what? That was actually a scene I was really excited for was um, for Selena and Valerie to, have time just one-on-one -on -one with each other. Yeah. I was, I was kind of waiting for that and, and anticipating that. And Sayas <laughs> did not disappoint when that happened, no. when they do meet each other and, you know, they do kind of have one-on-one -on -one conversation. I thought it was so incredibly well done. Um, it was just so biting and so quick. Um, but it was so, I felt very real in a way, like you felt after being a fly on the wall, um, 
throughout these people's lives in this film, you felt that makes sense for both of these characters. Like this is very natural that them choosing to communicate in this way. It feels so natural for these characters. It was, it was, it's kind of crazy because it shows you how these, you know, we all run in these very small circles mm -hmm. and sometimes our communities are a little bit tighter knit than we want to believe. But at the same time, <laughs> there's these strange ways that they don't overlap. Like, um, Laura stays completely out of the fray, mm -hmm. right? Like she's very much in the same world mm -hmm. as all of these other people. And yet she and Selena never really have an overlap. She mm -hmm. and Valerie never have an overlap. And, you know, it, it's, it's strange. Cause like, I mean, they're one of the core themes of these movie of this movie is, um, people in relationships having affairs. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can you still have an affair in 2019? It's like, well, you can, because <laughs> you don't actually, you know, find yourself where, where these things intersect. Mm -hmm. And the only time that one of these characters actually lets on that they are having an affair is when they are communicating with their, um, with their dalliance digitally, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I kind of like that, but I do wish that there was a, just a little bit more actual like face to face interaction. Yeah. Cause I kind of feel it might've actually just heightened everything up. It's a, it's a good point. I think it definitely, I think that was definitely a conscious choice and really plays into that whole disconnection slash connection kind of struggle that we have interpersonally, but also digitally now mm -hmm. that uh, he's kind of examining throughout the whole film. So I thought it was quite well done. It is interesting though, that Laura is so kind of very much almost, she feels almost on the outside of that circle, even though she is kind of integrated, obviously very close with Ellen, um, close in more ways than one throughout the film, but um, she does feel very separate. And then we do see um, scenes with her alone outside mm -hmm. of that circle. And she does feel, um, you know, very much outside almost and not necessarily in the same way. But I was watching the film just kind of thinking uh, of a film I, I really enjoyed called Taya Rema, Pasolini film, um, Belief from 60s I could be I could be dating it could be much more recent but um and kind of the quote-unquote angel character in that film I don't know why it came into my head but watching Laura felt a little bit it called back to that for me for some reason but yeah she's very much I felt on the outside of that circle yeah um and sort of untouched by that circle she like doesn't seem bothered it by anything throw the whole thing out of balance <laughs> mm -hmm. and yet it, it doesn't because mm -hmm. you know like we're we're often watching her affair with uh with Elen and mm -hmm. often we're then able to kind of compare it back to Leonard's affair mm -hmm. and or, or or like both of their marriage it, it's I think it's the it's weird because she is very much a fifth wheel mm -hmm. in this whole thing. And yet it kind of, it gives us this interesting contrast of watching how these two people relate. Now yeah. compare it, how this one relates with his actual partner mm -hmm. and then you know, so on and so on and so on. Absolutely. It's a, yeah. it's a weird way of doing it. And yet at the same time, it still finds a balance. Yeah. I felt like she was almost like the sort of neutral litmus test where you had say Leonard and Valerie, um, you know, very much very I found those two there's obviously a lot of emotion there and they're very expressive of that um you have Ellen uh, and, and Selena too there's definitely a lot of emotion there and then you kind of have Laura sort of on the outside being this kind of untouchable sort of omniscient kind of observer of the situation um but very much has her own life going on she's not bothered by anything yeah. <laughs> really it seems anyways in the film it really does and I mean that was kind of that was that was the 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 i think the unexpected undercurrent of this movie is um 
she comes along and you would expect there, there's a scene late where uh, Leonard finally cops the fact that he's like, I've been having an affair. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've seen these kinds of movies over and over and over. And we know how these conversations go. Um, there's people in the audience who are going to have had these conversations mm-hmm. or, or, you know, have had this talk directed at them. And you don't exactly know where it's where this is all going to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know what kind of reaction she's going to give. You don't know what kind of reaction he's looking for. And she's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, she you know, and it's it's like it's it's a matter of fact thing. It's mm-hmm. a strange and yet very honest um, inclusion in this movie. It's like I've been unfaithful. And like, yeah, I figured, mm-hmm. and 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 it's not. It doesn't completely upset the world order. No. Now, don't get me wrong, yeah. because there are a lot of people in the world who that would completely upset the mm-hmm. world order. That would be the end of everything. It would be like mm-hmm. I'm going to my mom's. Mm-hmm. You uh, will hear from me sometime. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's. And both and both reactions are totally fair. Obviously, they are. Given, and, and given so the I mean, like I, I guess that that's uh, that's a that, that's my next question. I guess mm-hmm. is kind of jumping ahead of ourselves, like to, to the last act of this movie. How did that scene play for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and let's 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 kind of put a point on this. You're a person who's going to be married, like mm-hmm. who's still in the engagement stage. You've obviously been with your partner for quite some time, but like, how did that play? Putting yourself in that situation or listening to like how you've had other people play in that conversation. Mm-hmm. How did that? land you know that's a that's a great question i actually i found leonard and valerie's relationship very interesting they almost seemed like half the time they weren't that interested in each other and yet you really felt that they had sort of i want to say like a deep kind of care for each other you know they felt so almost innate and implicit to each other's life Mm -hmm. and yet half the time they're talking to each other they don't seem like they're having fun they don't even seem you know, like they're enjoying their conversations. Yeah, with like each his other. his book gets turned down. He tells her, and she's like, "Do you want like consolation? Mm-hmm. I, I I have none." Yeah, like, they, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like what? Wait a minute, that's your that's your husband. What? Yeah, they seem like they're kind of very yeah. They're I gotta go plug in my devices. Yeah, she's got like five yeah, devices. She's that charging she plugs up all in. of her phones, and, and I I personally thought their relationship was so interesting. Yeah. I was always looking forward to seeing their scenes together. Um, I just thought they were such an interesting duo because again, like they're they didn't seem like they enjoyed even chatting with each other, and yet you you got a sense of there's this undercurrent, a deep kind of care for each other, and they seem very very innate to each other's lives in a way but that scene when he does kind of confess to having an affair with her I I I really actually enjoyed Valerie's character I thought she was really funny um and I thought um I was always kind of intrigued by what she was going to do next to be honest because she was to me such a uh, a wild card character you didn't necessarily know how she was going to react to things as you said when he tells her his book's not getting published she doesn't really show that much sympathy. She's kind of like, oh, well, rework it. I don't know. What do you want me to say? Yeah, yeah. And you really just don't know what's going to come out of her mouth sometimes. So I, when he does confess to her and she kind of comes back with, oh, well, I figured, yeah. you know, who was it with? And it's not even until he tells her who it was that she even there's any sort of blip on the emotional scale, you know? Um, so and even then she's still really measured. Yeah. She's very like, measured, like especially measured. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really interesting th- scene. I thought it was well done. I, again, I think that it felt true to those characters, similar to how I mentioned with Valerie and Selena that when they do kind of have a one-on-one moment with each other, it felt very natural to those characters. So to me, it didn't feel, um, 
jarring and it, it, it just, it felt so natural to me when I watched that scene, even though I think it, it certainly is not how we typically see, you know, infidelity being um, shown, certainly in Hollywood films or no. North American films. Definitely. You don't really see that happen a lot. Um, but to me, it felt very natural to those two characters. Yeah, it, it, it really did. It felt, I mean, I, I, the one thing I think I, I really latched onto was her, one of her early reactions is, why are you telling me? Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, I haven't just caught you. Mm-hmm. I haven't found evidence. I'm not confronting you. Mm-hmm. I've just come home, dropped my stuff off, and you've walked into the room and said, hey, do I need to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was actually really key. Yeah. You know, it's like you're not getting away with it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't delude yourself <laughs> into thinking that you're actually fooling me. Mm-hmm. But we're carrying on. We're part of mm-hmm. bigger things in our own lives. Mm-hmm. We're part of, like you said, like – Something bigger together, even if, you know, we're not exactly peeling the paint off the walls every mm-hmm. night. Um, so why, what do you want? Like, mm-hmm. do you, like you know, like it, it's a weird, it's, it's a response to the actual selfishness of something that seems, well, I thought I, sh- I thought you should know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, and it's, it's really, it's handled amazingly well. I think that th- this kind of scene in a lot of other movies, it just falls apart, mm-hmm. but it's handled really sharply. It was, it was very, it, just the, the dialogue was so tight The the actors portrayals, like even their, their movements in that scene are fairly, I don't want to say constricted because that's not the right word, but their movements are, again, it's just so it's tight, tightly. It's a tight shot. It's a tight shot. Both. It's well choreographed almost yeah. in a way, how they relate to each other spatially in that moment. Um, and again, it just all, that seemed to me, you know, as as shocking as, as it is, I think for anyone in, in a film or in real life, if you're going to have that conversation with your partner, like it, it, it's a shocking moment. And yet to them, it, it's almost, there. there's no blip on the emotional radar almost. It's like, and yeah, it, and? It felt, yeah, it felt so, and yet to me as a viewer, it felt so natural for those two characters, yeah. you know? Um, okay. I, I, I had no other way of, fra- of phrasing this question, and this is the way it is in my notes. Is this film too bougie? It's funny. I think that's a great question, by <laughs> because, the way. Because, I mean, these people are very comfortable. Mm-hmm. They're talking about some very liberal and very well-educated ideas. Mm-hmm. This is not exactly what I'd call a movie of the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in what like a world-class city. They're all highly educated. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I could I, – seriously, I could tell that there was nobody in my crowd who was going to pair this as a double feature with <laughs> – John Wick later tonight, although I am. But um, (laughs) is this film too bougie? That's a great question. I mean, a double bill that involves Keanu Reeves is always okay, by by my opinion. Um, You've had had your Parisian infidelity and talk about social media and literacy. Let's go shoot some people. Yeah, let's just go watch Keanu Reeves for two hours. I'm totally cool with that. Um, I think that, I mean... Yes, it is. Absolutely. But I think that that's all part of the kind of social commentary that Asaias is, I think, anyways, trying to make in that film. That even the bourgeoisie are absurd. Absolutely. And I full mean, of themselves. I think that's part of French cinema's history, you know? Let's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it goes through waves. Uh, but absolutely, I think it's, it's very much a part of uh, the French kind of cinematic history of let's poke fun at the bourgeoisie while also kind of indulging in that lifestyle. Um, and that film, absolutely to me watching it. Um, and again, this could be again, caveat, I work in the industry. So a lot of the conversations are having, I thought, Hmm, you know, these are definitely people who do not work in the industry and aren't that close to it. Um, 
But I think that for me, it played in so well with them being, you know, they're very white, they're very middle to upper class, um, very, very obviously privileged uh, group of people. Um, and that played into it. It's me being in the industry. It's like, the, these are, you know, very kind of theoretical questions. If you worked in the industry, you wouldn't be asking this. Um, and yet it makes so much sense considering they're talking about these things from a very kind of detached academic viewpoint. Even when they talk about Valerie's uh, role or work with her politician, um, her boss, politician David, mm-hmm. um, everything that they talk about with him, he seems anyways, based on their conversations, to be potentially a, a left-leaning politician. And yet, even then, you know, there's a lot of kind of very high-level skepticism uh, from the group of friends. But absolutely, I think it's all part of the the kind of social critique that this movie is. I mean, that's that's going to be the hard part is, you know, I've been thinking more and more and more about how social media and the books we read and the art that we follow, if we follow art, it, it tends to play to our taste. They even bring up within the scope of this movie that you tend to put yourself into you know, into a stream, into a, into a lane of traffic and you stay in your lane. You know, mm-hmm. you listen to feeds and listen to art that just reinforces your idea mm-hmm. and, and doesn't potentially prove you wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, I think about there, there's, there's nonfiction books that I read about, um, you know, everything from dealing with race and mm-hmm. dealing with feminism and dealing with, with, um, our, our, I'm reading one now. It's about our relationship to social media. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, I'm reading this, but at the same time, I'm already in the mindset of what this book is out to prove. Mm-hmm. And that's my thing is a lot of, you know, a lot of what this movie is out to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's going to be preaching to the choir. So yeah. that's my, that's my, my big concern about this film. That's being your too bougie thing. Is that the, you know, the bougie people that are going to go see this. Oh, you know, look at, all these people and then they're gonna go back to their lives and they're gonna do the same sorts of things you know what that's that's fair i for me i felt the entire time um Asais was kind of sort of winking at the audience and kind of putting maybe putting in front of us the, this very privileged group of of people um i felt the whole film really was very kind of very dry very kind of sarcastic look at again, like the bourgeois bohemian kind of white upper class folks. Um, Obviously, it's very centralized in Paris, but I feel that that could absolutely apply to groups in Toronto, to groups in New York. You know, Mm -hmm. there, I think there's elements of it that. So you think the theme is get out of your bougie little channel? I don't, I don't know. Change lanes and kind of see what's going on. I don't think that's the theme per se, but I do think that he (laughs) is. That's a good life goal. (laughs) You know, I do think he is poking fun. I do think he is pointing fingers and being like, are you, are you hearing yourself right now? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think he sets that up during, again, that opening, that great opening discussion with Elaine and Leonard. Um, pretty sure Elaine at one point does say, you know, folks really enjoy social media because they get validation for their own opinions. Yeah. Um, and I think right off the bat, we're kind of setting that up. And I, and I, I did feel that the whole film was kind of poking fun at this sort of group of people, but also just in general, you know, um, again, it, it is a, a bougie group of people, <laughs> very privileged group of people. And yet I, I felt anyways, while watching it, that was never lost on Asaeus, that that was very much his intent and kind of showing, you know, the disconnection and almost obliviousness of this, of this group. I mean, it's, it's funny because that is eventually kind of played in, on several levels that is played for a gag when mm-hmm. they talk about, um, oh, I 
lost his name when they're talking about Leonard's book mm-hmm. uh, because he, so they describe his books as auto fiction. Yes. The yeah. idea being that you are fictionalizing version of experiences you have, that you yourself have had, mm-hmm. which I'm sure that is a thing. And I'm, I, for all I know, I've probably read that, but that to me sounds like a terrible idea <laughs> because you are outing yourself in, in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that everybody kind of seems to jump on pardon the expression in this auto uh, fiction is this act of oral sex as happens in a, in a movie theater, mm-hmm. right? In this book, he gets head watching the white the ribbon, ribbon by Michael. <laughs> oh, God. Now, so first of all, that is just absurd on several levels, mm-hmm. but gets back into the idea of this very bougie box that we've drawn for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, what we learn is that the, you know, the, the cinema head actually happened at a screening of The Force Awakens. Which is hilarious. Sorry, not the Force. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, that's, I mean, so that, that in itself is, mm-hmm. is this, this thing that gets latched onto in several different ways. Mm-hmm. That on the one hand, you know, them saying, well, you changed it mm-hmm. from what actually happened to you mm-hmm. into something much higher class, like mm-hmm. higher art. Mm-hmm. And you know, very controversial. Yes, yes. So what are you trying to say? Absolutely. It's, it's this weird, I mean, that to me is kind of this, what this movie is all about. When it yeah. takes something, you know, silly and absurd that happened and tries to trump it up into something bigger. I felt like that whole notion, and I thought it was really interesting, you know, he, everyone kind of keeps calling his book autobiographical. And he's like, no, 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 well, it's autofiction. Yeah. Um, and later on in the film, I uh, I think he's encouraged to, to write a completely, you know, fictionalized story. And he says, well, you know, I, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't write like that. Yeah. And I just felt that the whole notion of autofiction um, was very... Um, very much in, intentionally kind of paired against the whole discussion around social media, you know, having this sort of curated, um, very, uh, you know, actively very, this put together filtered version of your, life. of your life. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I thought that was just a really kind of fun and interesting interplay, you know, the, the whole kind of initial discussion at the dinner party about social media and curating one's life. And then, you know, while books being the sort of prestige and historical and, and very classic way of imparting um, information. And yet here we have this author who's very much sticking to those kind of um, historical uh, avenues of, of getting across information and telling stories. And yet he himself is doing that. He's absolutely curating what he's saying. He's changing it to make it sound more chic, as um, Selena says yeah, yeah. at one point. <laughs> or sometimes, and, and sometimes not changing it enough. Mm-hmm. Like there's this whole plot thread of you're obviously talking about yes. this person. Yeah. Why didn't you just call it that person and totally. write your little memoir? Well, no, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like you know, you're if you're on social media, you might obviously be subtweeting somebody. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just add them? At exactly. That, at that, yeah. At that stage, you know? I, I thought it was a great kind of conver- almost a conversation or a dialogue and it's, between and it's that. Like, you know. You know unbelievably absurd mm-hmm. on several levels that somebody would be getting head during Force Awakens <laughs> during somebody would be getting certainly that somebody would have that happen to them during a Hedekka movie oh my god um, and, and 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 my favorite part that that would generate discussion right goes yeah this radio interview and they're like so you had oral sex during a Hanukkah <laughs> movie of, of rise of Nazism mm-hmm. what does that mean and yeah. it's like 
oh shit, I didn't really think about right. that. And, and then, then they he, kind of go further and call yeah. him out, and they're like, "Well, can you de- can you describe like share the summary of the film?" His ass. And yeah, they start gatekeeping <laughs> on him. And that I honestly thought Leonard was such an interesting character because he sort of bumbles his way into all these. <laughs> very interesting circumstances but I, 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 even so when he does that um book signing event and yeah. he starts to get called out at his own event um and again kind of an interesting notion of you know telling the story of one's life obviously whether it's social media or one of leonard's auto fiction books um a lot of curation going on a lot of active decision making of what you're going to share and and how you're going to tell that version of, of your life um but that's kind of, I thought that was interesting. I, I was wondering if they would explore that a bit more throughout the film, but someone raises the question, you know, well, where is that boundary when you're telling a story that involves someone else's life and you've obviously kind of changed yeah, you, certain yeah, portions you've just of ta- it. You've just taken the value mm-hmm. of my life and spent it. Mm-hmm. And now nobody else can, including myself, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you've already, you know, that's currency that you've just, yeah. that you've just laid on the table. And All of that, I mean, you know, when we get back to kind of the absurdity of this whole thing and the curation of this whole thing, Mm -hmm. those kinds of events are very self-fulfilling. You know, like you have, we've both been to film festivals where there's a Q&A afterwards. Nobody's going to challenge anybody on that stage Mm -hmm. at a Q&A somewhere like that. Nobody's going to challenge an author at their own reading. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so why are you doing this? Are you really just doing this for validation of why you're there? Mm -hmm. Did you need to do that? I wonder I wonder if that's almost, and again, I could be totally off, but I wonder if that's almost a cultural thing. Because as we were discussing before, um, you know, Toronto not being always the most vocal kind of fan base, whether it be concerts or yeah, films yeah. and events like that. Certainly, I don't think in any of the, the Q&As or panel discussions I've gone to in Toronto has anyone really challenged a filmmaker. I will say that once in Ottawa, I used to program a documentary uh, series and we did have one gentleman come up and really lob some challenging and to be honest, quite painful questions to the filmmaker. We ended up having to kind of de-escalate the situation. Um, So I just wonder if it's almost like, I wonder if it's a cultural thing. Like I wonder if Toronto audiences, you know, tend to be a bit more, I would say, buttoned down. Well, I mean, um, even just within, even just within the scope of like these events themselves, mm -hmm. I mean, that may be a role for moderation. That Mm -hmm. may be a role for the the person who's there to lead the discussion to Mm -hmm. challenge them in a way that is both honest and respectful because you don't know what you're going to get out of the crowd and he just gets his butt handed to him. They they actually make a point of saying it's a smaller crowd than usual. But hey, you know, the the centers showed up. Yeah, that Um, was was an interesting scene. It's, it's, this is a potent little movie at like mm-hmm. just under two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot baked in. Yeah. Um, th- that, you know, I, I do feel still that it is a film that's talking to its own mm-hmm. self. In well, a way. yeah. But at the same time, I do kind of hope that people give it a shot. Yeah, I, I agree. I hope people give it a shot. And I hope, uh, as we mentioned earlier, they go in really kind of paying attention because I think a lot of the humor is somewhat lost if you were kind of just half watching it or coming in and out. Um so, yeah, it is a film that, you know, just sink in, be a fly on the wall, watch yeah. these folks. Um, again, I watched it very much from the perspective that SAS is really kind of critiquing and kind of and, and poking fine at this group of people and, and certainly people that kind of fall within that overall, again, kind of socioeconomic class. But 
Um, I think a lot of that would be lost had I had I maybe watched it at home and I had my phone out. Yeah, and, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, absolutely, I don't think well, it would have come the across. The nuance as well. kind of would have like exactly would have dissipated. Yeah. Uh, well, we end every review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Uh, I, I want to uh, slightly digress by saying there is a movie coming out called Souvenir, mm -hmm. and I do I do want to see. I it really want to see. And that I think too. I might do a podcast about <laughs> it, so I can't wait to talk about the souvenir from the souvenir. Yes. Um, I'm excited for that but as well. if you could keep a souvenir from nonfiction, uh, what would you take? Oh my god, any of the Parisian apartments. Yeah, just right, yeah. <laughs> any I can only of the Parisian how apartments. Much they cost too, I know, right? They are not like, small either. No, they they were beautiful. Honestly, I really loved just the the places that the characters frequented, like the the kind of bars and cafes that they go to yeah. even know at the beginning with Ellen and Leonard that they're local at that one particular uh, restaurant. I just, uh, I mean, I, I loved it. I, I think it really had the classic kind of, for me, it was very, that whole film was such a, uh, I guess an iteration or an echo of earlier French cinema that really kind of critiques and comments on um, that, particular upper class or socioeconomic group of people, but um, all the places that they frequented uh, just looked so Parisian. They and look very lively. They look very lively. You know, like people that having place, conversations, yeah. music playing. Those are the kinds of places I like to go. Exactly. Um, you know, I, 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 I hate recording podcasts there, but... Um, <laughs> that is totally fair. <laughs> I, I, I like those more than going to the kind of places where everybody's just kind of lost in their own mm -hmm. screen. Yeah. Uh, nothing against, like, working in public. I understand no, like, yeah. how it has its place, but I, mm -hmm. I do And we both, I think, that... do that fairly frequently. Like, there's absolutely a need for that sometimes. Yeah. But it, it was almost refreshing to see you know, they go to that restaurant for lunch and it's just packed and people yeah. are so animated and they're engaging in conversation and, you know, they're just having these beautiful, like ornate lunches and talking yeah. about social media. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just it, that whole lifestyle. Um, I think, uh, you know, you don't necessarily see a ton on screen, at least not necessarily in, in North American cinema. No. I feel the focus is not as much per se on that kind of atmosphere. Um, but again, I, th I thought that was a very intentional choice. You know, everyone in that restaurant is so animated. They're mm. all discussing. It's very loud. Yeah, it's yeah. very loud, but in almost in a good way, mm. you know. <laughs> uh, well, my souvenir would be, I mean, I want to read his book. Yes. Uh, I, I must admit, like not knowing much about going into this book, like, oh, this is all about books? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Right? You know, I, was, I was like, what did I just do? Oh um, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they discuss all kinds of books in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, all, unfortunately, like, they're all completely. I think there's like maybe one or two mm -hmm. actual books that are brought up. Yeah. Most of them are just fictional bullshit. Yeah. But I was like, this sounds like a book that I want to read. Right? So I do want to read like the one that he's trying to flog and mm -hmm. the one that he eventually does right full mm -hmm. stop. The one that he, the, the one that he sells. Yeah. Um, I want to read it. I mean, it sounds interesting. I want to see, I, they, they yeah. talk about that, that scene that we were talking about it mm -hmm. during white ribbon. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to see how this is portrayed yeah. because they, they talk about it a lot of different ways. <laughs> yes. Um, I agree. You know, Especially I, the, book and I realize that, that sounds like I just want to like thumb straight to the dirty parts. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying no. to say. I, I hear you. Let me be I clear. <laughs> Um, but definitely the book that he was trying to get published, yeah. I I also was thinking that too. I was like, I really wonder what he's writing. Like, what is it? But of course, like, you know, uh, we we learn more about the book as the film goes on. Yeah. But initially that first one was like, huh, I uh, wonder what the book yeah. is about. <laughs> we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Jolie Featherstone, what do you give Olivier Assayas nonfiction on a scale of one to four? I would say a three out of four. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm the same... 
opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I really like it. Mm-hmm. My big, as I said, my big knock on it is it's preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. It is staying in its lane. It mm-hmm. is staying in its feed. Um, it, it, it's trying to kind of take a little bit of the air out of these bougie people, mm-hmm. but at the same time has created a very bougie product. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, listen, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you think that this movie is a piece of garbage. <laughs> uh, or maybe you think that this movie's goddamn genius and that we're actually being too hard on it. Let us know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA. Uh, what do you think of Olivier Sayas nonfiction? And as I said earlier, we have no other side for this episode, so that is it for episode 223 of Matt Acast. I'd like to thank Jolie for coming by. Um, come on back on June 3rd for episode 224. Uh, not sure what we're going to do yet. We might either do an episode on Booksmart or we might do an older movie. Um, we'll see, but uh, come on back on uh, beginning of June. We'll find out. Jolie, is, uh, you're actually going to be on another podcast. I am, you, yes. You, I got a few things in the my works. My goodness. So. <laughs> um, plug it away. Let's, 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 let's help out the network here. Yeah. What are you, you going to be doing and where are you going to be talking about it? So, uh, great question. I have a, a few things on the go. So oh, I've wow. been um, writing uh, or doing some reviews for Wiley Writes. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, so check out that website, wileywrites.com. And um, I have a really, really fun time on behalf of Wiley Wright's going to cover the red carpet of Hellboy, which was a ton of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, did some reviews there for Palms, The Hustle, and Tolkien. So interesting little mix there. Uh, next up, I will be writing for Wiley Wright's for Booksmart. So look forward to that. Nice. And we can chat more um, once that gets out. And then I'll be on the Screenfish podcast discussing Rocket Man. So oh, I'm wow. really excited for that one very as well. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. And if people do want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? They can find me at T.O. Film Files. Um, on Twitter, basically. Yes. <laughs> Don't know there's more to Yeah, no, there, there'll be links for that and everything else in the show notes, so uh, do look up uh, Jolie's work. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Play, everywhere podcasts are found. You can find them. If you don't find them, let me know and make sure you can find them. Uh, feedback on nonfiction or anything else that we've talked about today can be emailed to me, ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, or on matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts you know what it's i feel that this film is very much of its history in a way i feel like it really does feel like a very classic kind of french it's film very french and uh it's so french we've got, the, we've got the same it, you know? little, we've got the same little <laughs> like uh cinematech summer at, at tiff thing mm-hmm. i'm like this would have been right in yeah with with all of those, you know, uh, oh, why are their names all falling out of my head now? Um, Truffaut, yeah, Louise, Godard, and Godard. And I'm like, oh, this this totally would have been. Yeah, they they mention um, they mention Bergman mm-hmm. at one point. It's not Bergman esque, but I'm yeah, like, he would have liked. <laughs> you know what? I this film really made me think of a film I saw at TIFF this year, which was. I actually, it was kind of my sleeper hit. I didn't necessarily go into it thinking that I'd love it, and I did. And it was called uh, Mademoiselle de Jonquière, which is coming back to the light box, I believe. I could be totally wrong on that, so don't quote me on it. Mm. But um, also another kind of uh, film on relationships, love, infidelity, revenge. Um, but it's a period Sounds piece. Sounds like a hoot. It's, it's a real hoot. <laughs> it's a period piece, too. So if you like that, Double definitely, feature that one definitely check Wake. it out. Absolutely. <laughs> Or Jolie, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. Dog,